I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. This is your journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tate. I'll be taking you on this journey. And hey, let's address the elephant in the room. It has been over two years since the last episode of the show. Many of you have probably thought that the show uh, has pod faded, has gone away forever. I had mentioned way, way back that the show will never die. The show will never end. Uh, I might go on long extended hiatuses, maybe even longer than this one. Uh, but I will always continue to try to find time uh, to keep the show alive. So how many months ago was the last episode? Uh, the Star Trek issue of Nintendo Power was what I covered. It was February 28th, 2019. Uh, and I think in the past couple of years, you could probably times that by five, right? So even though it's been only about two years, uh, it's probably been way more than that. So 32 months, 140 weeks, 978 days. This is insane. Uh, almost a thousand days since the last episode of Power Time. Needless to say, it feels really good to be back behind the microphone. I'm excited to bring this episode to you. If you are still listening, just want to give you a sincere thank you for hanging on and staying subscribed to the feed, keeping this uh, going in your podcast player of choice. Really appreciate that. If you're just discovering the show for the first time, the archive is still wide open. So feel free to dig into your favorite era of NES gaming. And we're going to continue this journey. We're going to continue this journey now that we're moving into the early days of the Super Nintendo. So I just want to say, I hope everyone has been super well. I know 2020 and uh, 2021 uh, has been a wild year, to say the least, a wild couple of years. And what I'll do, rather than waste a bunch of time catching up here, is I'll record a bonus episode that I'm going to throw in the feed uh, with some other audio that I've been holding on to for a while. And I'll kind of share where I've been, what I've been up to, and maybe what to expect from the podcast moving forward. But I don't want to bog this down, uh, this episode down with any of that. So if you're interested and you want to catch up, uh, listen to that and give me a shout on Twitter, Y-O Power Time, Yo Power Time is my handle. I would love, love, love to catch up and see how all the listeners out there are doing. I uh, hope everything has been well. I'm still here. I hope that you're still here too. Uh, and we'll keep things moving forward. So without any delay, let's get into the next issue of Nintendo Power. And this happens to be volume 30. So let's flash back now to November of 1991. Beauty and the Beast and the Adams Family were crushing it in the box office. Michael Bolton's When a Man Loves a Woman topped the music charts. It was a different time. It was a simpler time. Love was in the air. A little bit of mystery. A little bit of fairy tales. A little bit of fantasy. And that is exactly what we received in our mailboxes when Volume 30 of Nintendo Power arrived, featuring Final Fantasy 2. So let's take a look at this cover. This is a great cover of Nintendo Power. 
Uh, not a lot of copy on this cover. So obviously we have Nintendo Power logo uh, in its iconic yellow and red volume 30, still $3.50 in the United States, still $4.50 in Canada. We have uh, an image here of some type of knight wearing kind of a blue shawl, a green tunic. We've seen that green tunic before, some leather boots. And he's flying on some type of bird-like creature, uh, but he's got uh, he's got reins on it, so he's tamed this creature, clearly. Uh, I can see a dragon in the background, uh, in the clouds. I can see a castle in the background, a large moon. Uh, he's carrying a sword with some type of uh, green jewels coming out of the sword. So very uh, fantasy-like illustration here, right? And you can see Final Fantasy II in big, bold font here, Might, Mystery, and Magic. And there's really not that much else. It says, plus... Game Boy Battletoads, eh, okay, and NES Flintstones. So, I mean, they're really, really trying to push Final Fantasy here. Uh, they haven't really filled this issue with too many other things uh, that they're going to highlight on the cover. We got the official Nintendo seal of quality, and down at the bottom, of course, it says the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. Pop that cover open and we start to see, remember it's November, so the holidays are coming up. Uh, this holiday season, you can give the gift of stopless power. So we have an advertisement here. The hottest gift to give this season is also the coolest, Nintendo Power. So you can gift a subscription. Uh, 12 ice hot issues for just $15. I mean, come on. This is why everyone that I knew had a, had a Nintendo Power subscription. It was Ice hot and super cheap. 15 bucks is fantastic. Uh, and you could have your grandma or your aunt and uncle just gift you a subscription. This was actually a pretty good gift. Flipping the uh, page here, we have Powerline, which is going to give us kind of a glimpse of what this entire issue is going to cover. Super NES Showcase. We're going to cover Super Tennis, UN Squadron, Super Baseball Simulator 1000. We have Final Fantasy II on the Super Nintendo, of course. Imagine enemies rendered in gorgeous 16-bit graphics and sound that is nothing short of superb. The Flintstones on NES, uh, Dino and Hoppy have been dino-napped. Tom and Jerry also coming to the NES. We have a couple Game Boy titles here. Faceball 2000 is featured here in Powerline. And some other games that are in the table of contents. We have Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego. Battletoads, Kid Icarus, and Double Dragon 2 for the Game Boy. We have Now Playing, Packwatch, Nestor's Adventures, all the hits. We're going to dive deep into this issue. Let's do it. Let's start with our featured game, Final Fantasy 2. could not start with any song other than the iconic prelude uh, to the Final Fantasy series, which of course is included in the Final Fantasy II soundtrack. So here in Nintendo Power, when you open up uh, to the Final Fantasy II section, we have an image of what looks like a ghost ship. Uh, really cool illustration. We have a moon in the background. It says Final Fantasy II, the first epic adventure for the Super NES. So if you haven't been following along with Power Time and it's been two years, so I don't blame you, uh, you'll know that we're just starting to see some big titles hit the NES, uh, Super Nintendo after its release. Uh, really fantastic launch lineup. We had F-Zero, uh, Super Mario World, 
Uh, but now we're starting to see these epic games like Final Fantasy 2. Soon we'll see A Link to the Past. Uh, and it says Squaresoft's Final Fantasy 2 for the Super NES sets a new standard of excellence for RPGs. The story, graphics, play, and sound will keep fans riveted. Uh, coming right off of the heels right of a couple other JRPGs uh, that they really have been trying to bring over uh, into the United States from Japan. And Nintendo Power has been instrumental in trying to push these super hard. You know, So we talked about uh, Dragon Warrior. Uh, we talked about the original Final Fantasy for Nintendo just getting a ton of coverage. Uh, and we'll see that here as well. So I've avoided recording this episode for a really long time and probably for the same reason that I avoid playing some of the most well-known JRPGs. They are epic, they are time-consuming, they are in many ways just completely untouchable. So from a podcast perspective, how can I do Final Fantasy II, also known as Final Fantasy IV, justice? Especially because this one, uh, and, and this one in particular, is one of the few Final Fantasy games that I haven't played. I've never played this game, uh, not at all. And with the Pixel remasters now coming out on PC and mobile, hopefully Switch one day, uh, I'll have a chance to kind of go back and revisit some of these. Um, so let's cover what we can. And if you want a deeper dive, there's some great episodes out there uh, in the podcast world. Retronauts has a great episode on Final Fantasy IV. Uh, New Game Plus, one of my favorite podcasts, covers Final Fantasy IV Advance uh, with their guest Antonin on that episode. And Antonin actually has his own podcast called the Yaf Podcast, yet another another Final Fantasy podcast. And uh, I believe he covered Final Fantasy IV in great detail over multiple episodes. Uh, so I'll drop links in the show notes. So if you want to go deeper, I will make sure that you have a way to go deeper. But for today, let's dive right in. Final Fantasy IV, uh, developed and published by Square. Uh, it was released in July 1991. This is the fourth Final Fantasy title in the series but the second in North America. So this is where it starts to get a little confusing. Uh, obviously, we uh, did not get two and three, uh, the Japanese two and three in the United States. So it would be odd for them to just bring over Final Fantasy IV as Final Fantasy IV. As mentioned, uh, this was first released on the Super Nintendo. As we know, Nintendo and Nintendo Power, uh, they really pushed the original Final Fantasy a ton. Uh, they had that huge sweepstakes. Uh, you can go back and check out that Power Time episode if you want to check out that coverage. They really tried so hard to make RPGs popular in the West. And this definitely continues that trend. Um, I think of, uh, was it Mean Girls, that movie Mean Girls, where they were saying that word fetch and it was like, oh, stop trying to make that word happen. Nintendo Power just tried to continue to make JRPGs happen uh, well into uh, the Super Nintendo's life cycle as well. I mean, look at super mario rpg which we'll cover in the future as, as well uh really just trying to bring this over to north american players uh this game was developed by final fantasy veterans so her hironobu sakaguchi uh who's still in the headlines uh, i believe he's been streaming final fantasy 14 uh, so i keep seeing news articles about him uh he returns as the director uh nabuo uimatsu uh returns as the main composer will go on to compose all of the greats, right? And we see Takashi Tokida join as the lead game designer, scenario writer. And this would be one of his first main titles as a full-time Square employee. 
but we'll see his DNA throughout future Square projects. So he'll introduce some stuff here that you might see in the future. He'll go on to direct Live a Live, uh, which was another Famicom game not released in the US. Uh, He'll go on to direct Parasite Eve, and he also co-directs Chrono Trigger. I can't wait to cover Chrono Trigger, the history behind that game. So awesome. So let's take a look at how Nintendo Power specifically covered this game. So we've got 10 pages of coverage here, and honestly, some of the most detailed coverage we've seen to date in Nintendo Power. RPGs like Final Fantasy introduced a level of complexity, strategy, exploration, and challenge that most gamers weren't accustomed to, even though we're in the Super Nintendo era and we're kind of entering into that. Uh, many gamers were used to simplistic gameplay. So at this time, if you look at the Counselor's Corner and Classified Information sections of the magazine, you'll see most young gamers, they were struggling with some pretty simple stuff, even with games like Legend of Zelda, which is much simpler than Final Fantasy. So they're giving tips and tricks on doing really simple, easy things. Now throw them into the world of a square RPG of the magnitude of Final Fantasy IV or Final Fantasy II, and there's going to be some roadblocks to adoption, right? Really getting people interested in these games. Think about the rental market back then too. I mean, most of the games that I played growing up, they were rentals and these were some epic games. There was no way you were going to finish this in a rental. So if you got stuck, you felt like you wasted your rental time. Uh, So it was really critical to get that adoption up uh, that this coverage was helping you, helping you progress through the game. It's not just a preview. Uh, these were almost mini strategy guides. And as we go through this coverage, you'll see how much handholding Nintendo Power tends to do. So honestly, uh, if you open up kind of the first page here, they show a picture of the world map. I was pretty taken back. The world map has 17 locations from Baron Castle to the cave of Ablana. And the world map image here. Uh, shocked me. It reminded me of the Brady Games Final Fantasy VII guide uh, that that I so beat up and and tattered because I used uh, many, many hours uh, in my multiple playthroughs of that game. Um, I've dog-eared that game, uh, that guide many times. Uh, There are 17 locations, as I mentioned here, and if you look at the image, it's pretty vast. I mean, this is a big game. It's pretty impressive for the time when you think about it. I mean, we're still in Super Nintendo and we're in the early days of Super Nintendo. Uh, We start to learn some of the uh, plot points here. The King's Pawn. Much of the tale unfolds in scenes in which on-screen characters talk to each other, fight, or stab each other in the back. The twisting plot begins with an elite Red Wing airship commander, you, stealing magical crystals for the King of Baron. So we start to see some illustrations of some of these characters here. We have the Dark Knight Cecil who, again, I've never played this game, so I believe Cecil is, of course, the main character here. Cecil, whose name can be changed to whatever you wish, is the main character, and Hero, 
banished by the King of Baron, he sets out to solve the mystery of the crystals and to free the world. Strength's Cecil's strongest attack is with a sword when he becomes a paladin later in the game. He can also use white magic. So we're starting to see uh, some awesome screenshots of the game uh, from the airship to a couple battles uh, with some pretty detailed sprites, detailed uh, characters here. Uh, some of the headlines here, Flight of the Red Wing, Road to Mist. Uh, again, and the hand-drawn illustrations are awesome. So I recommend you know Googling volume 30 of Nintendo Power and taking a, a quick look at this. Uh, we start to learn some other characters. We have Dragoon Kane. Uh, so we're starting to see some of these archetypes like the Dragoon who uh, come into the Final Fantasy series and will stay in the Final Fantasy series for a long time. Dragoons have the uh, infamous jump attack, which we learn about here. Uh, Kane is a member of the King's Guard and will help Cecil in his quest. But where do Kane's true loyalties lie? with Cecil or the King or to some other power. The quest begins in Baron. Uh, then we take ourselves through the fires of mist through a foggy cave. The two outcasts search for the correct path to mist. A mist dragon blocks the route, but not for long. So it says here you will meet your first real taste of battle. We have the mist dragon uh, looks like a boss fight, and it says when the mist dragon becomes a mist, do not attack it. Use the parry command or refill your hit points. So all of these things really contributing to helping the player uh, figure out how to navigate this game. We get introduced to another uh, another hero here. We have Rydia, or Rydia, uh, who is a caller. Rydia learned the magic of calling monsters from her mother, but in time, she will learn many other potent spells. When Cecil finds her in mist, Rydia has good cause to hate him. So here we get a little bit of uh, additional story points here. The flame unleashed one night in Kaipo. Uh, and we're also learning about real-time battles. So battles here, nothing new for us, right, who've been playing and been exposed to JRPGs for a very long time, but, you know, new for Super Nintendo and uh, gamers of the time, learning about real-time battles was kind of a big deal. So battles in Final Fantasy II are more interesting than in previous RPGs. First, you must make snap decisions. The enemies don't wait for you to make up your mind. Second, you place your party members either in the front line or in a backup position where they'll take less damage depending on their strength. So I'm reading this verbatim from the magazine. Uh, we have uh, standard formation here and also back attack. Uh, so I love this, right? I love this interesting element that they've added to the strategy here of kind of being able to put your players on the front line or the back line uh, that will continue to be critical in future RPGs. So let's break here and listen to the amazing battle theme of Final Fantasy IV, which gets a great Easter egg shout out in the Scott Pilgrim movie. So I don't know if you remember this when Scott Pilgrim plays uh, the battle theme on bass. It's pretty great. There's a YouTube clip. Check it out if you're a fan of Scott Pilgrim or if you're a fan of Final Fantasy.
We're back with more coverage. Uh, so again, coverage is extensive. Uh, 10 pages, they are packed. We have a bunch of boxes and paragraphs and screenshots and character callouts. On this particular page, we have the Bard and the Beast from the Cave of the Watery Pass where Tella joins the party. You'll move on to Damsien. Uh, I'm, again, I'm butchering all the names, so I apologize if you're a Final Fantasy IV diehard fan. Uh, I apologize. Uh, then to Ant Leon's Cave. Uh, so the sage Tella is highlighted here. Tella is seeking his daughter, Anna. He will join you, but like most characters, his path crosses yours only for a short while. So Tella is a great magic user. He specializes in both white and black magic, but he has forgotten many spells. So my guess is he will be learning those spells throughout the game. Uh, we have another boss fight here, Octomom. Uh, a very interesting name there, <laughs> Octomom. And uh, you can use Tella's lightning spells uh, and Cecil's regular attack. So there's a couple more kind of boss battle tactics here. Then we learned about Prince Edward, who is the bard archetype. Prince Edward fled with Anna only to find greater danger ahead. He is not the strongest of fighters, but he has mystical abilities. Edward's singing has a special effect on many monsters. It can put them to sleep. So some interesting attacks here, uh, extra special abilities that Prince Edward has. Uh, and then we move on to our next big section of the coverage, which is the Crystal of Fabul. Your party must venture from the depths of the Antleon Cave across the wintry summit of Mount Hobbs to the castle of Fabul. Uh, so we have in the cave of Antleon uh, and some of the other headlines here, Rosa is saved. And we learn of this, uh, this other character, Rosa, who is a white mage. Uh, Rosa is not only Cecil's sweetheart, she is an accomplished white mage. Her abilities to protect her comrades during battle make her a valuable addition to the party, but she will not stay with them long. I'm sensing a trend here. Many of these uh, party members seem to drop in and quickly drop out uh, with the exception of, it seems, Cecil, who is uh, kind of the running thread. Uh, so once again, if you've read this before the game in full, uh, we're really spoiling some of the discovery that made these games so great. And I've shared my feelings about this with uh, Nintendo Power coverage in the past. They often go a little too far, uh, but they're going too far in the way that a strategy guide would. So they're not revealing every single detail. But I mean, if you just got this magazine in the mail and you read it cover to cover, you're getting a full overview of the Final Fantasy II story and all of the characters, and you're even getting hints that some drop in and drop out. And honestly, that that's a little revealing. You know, sometimes it's best just to play these games and enjoy them. But like I said earlier, we're really trying to, or Nintendo was really trying to get Western players to enjoy these games and see them through to completion and start to see some of the really amazing things um, as, as you progress through the game. Um, the next page, we learn a ton about magic. So there's a huge box here, purple box, the way of magic. Magic is a key element of Final Fantasy II. White magic is defensive. Black magic is offensive. Some of the spells are just for fun. Uh, so we do have some of these fun spells. Um, you know, we have lightning, fire, ice, wall, cure two, slow. We know all those, but there's a spell here called piggy. I've never actually noticed that in a Final Fantasy game. I wonder if that's unique to just this one. This whimsical spell turns friends or enemies. Uh, into pigs who cannot fight. Very interesting. 
Um, some spells uh, obviously will continue to be a mainstay in the series, uh, such as the elementals, but then also wall, cure two, uh, slow, and exit. Uh, being able to exit a stage, very critical. Um, up next, uh, we have the fate of Fabul, Red Wing returns. We have another character here, Yang, a karate master. Yang was the commander of the karate masters of Fabul. But during a training exercise on Mount Hobbs, his squad was attacked. Now only he remains to help you and your party. Strength, uh, Yang's kick attack, is his most useful weapon. The kick strikes all enemies at the same time. His regular attack is strengthened by the hand claw. I'm starting to see some similarities too between the archetypes that are mentioned in this game and then the ones that will eventually be in Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III on the Super Nintendo, which I have played many times uh, and one of my favorite in the series. I'm excited to cover that one as well. We have a interesting boss here, the Mom Bomb. Great name for an enemy. Uh, the Mom Bomb changes from a small foe to a huge fiery creature to a ring of smaller beings. In spite of its fearsome appearances, the Mom Bomb is easy to destroy. So you have a couple uh, tactics here. On the next page, uh, we have a call out here to call magic, C-A-L-L magic. And it looks like this is kind of a primitive view of what ultimately would become summons in future games, right? So we have uh, Rydia's call magic is a summoning spell to powerful beasts like the Chocobo and Titan. Once a creature is called, it will fight for your party. So definitely reminds me or is a kind of a precursor to summon materia and summon abilities uh, which we'll see all throughout um, i'm playing uh, final fantasy 10 now for the first time and uh that's a huge piece right uh being able to summon these beasts uh who can fight on your behalf next up we have uh a black and white wizard pair palum and porum palum is a master of black magic but his real strength is the twin spell that he casts with his twin sister so we have twin wizards. Uh, the twin wizards are really just children, but in spite of their childish antics, they are valuable and loyal companions for your assault on Mount Ordeals, where you must go now. Uh, so we're learning a bit about these twins. Uh, very interesting kind of Tweedledee, Tweedledum look to them uh, in the illustration here. Uh, the quest for the paladin to appease the Mycidians, you must face a great ordeal. So we're learning a little bit more about Mount Ordeals, uh, which is the next section of the game. Back to Baron, the secret path. We have uh, Master Engineer Sid. So Sid, of course, uh, is a character, or at least the name of a character that appears in multiple Final Fantasies, if not all. Sid is the master of the airships, where you'll need to find him if you want an airship with which to take on Golbez and the Red Wings. Sid's unique skill is that he can peep at enemies to determine their weaknesses. He can also fight using a bow and arrows. So we're learning a bit about Sid here. Uh, we're starting to see the world map and being able to fly across the world map. Looks like we're using a little bit of mode seven here for all the uh, Super Nintendo technical fans out there. Looking pretty good. We have another crystal. The bard returns the dark elf boss battle. So we have a couple tactics here. Uh, and again, lots of coverage here. Let's zip right through this. We have the Tower of Torian. Uh, we have a call out here around Chocobos. I believe Chocobos uh, aren't, are not making their Final Fantasy debut, but they're certainly making their Super Nintendo debut here. 
Uh, there are different color chocobos here. So also looks like a preview of what's to come and what will continue in the series. Uh, big fan of Final Fantasy VII's uh, kind of chocobo breeding, right? In Chocobo Discovery, you have yellow, white, fat chocobo, and black chocobo. Uh, and they all have different abilities on the world map where they can go to different places and help you identify and get to special areas and uh, special destinations and uncover some secrets too. Uh, so some pretty cool stuff here with Chocobos in the Land of Dwarves. Uh, we have another character here, Edge, who is a ninja. We're coming up on the end of the game here. So we have one crystal left to save. Your task now is to save the last remaining dark crystal before it falls into the hands of Golbez. You'll hear about the secret of the Tower of Babil and go to see if it is true. It won't be easy breaking into the tower, but your dwarf friends can help you by using their tanks. Uh, so a couple really interesting paragraphs and screenshots here. Uh, and then the final box here, the final word on Final Fantasy II. As you can see, the world of Final Fantasy II is vast and ever-changing. The party you use in your quest changes rapidly, requiring new tactics and strategies in battle. There are mysteries, legends, acts of bravery and betrayal, action from the earth to the moon, everything you would expect from a great adventure movie. The difference here is that you direct the story. And the final screenshot here is kind of the silhouette of a moon. Uh, I think spoiler alert here, that is a destination, uh, destination in this game, the final destination in this game. In this game. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to end here. We're going to retire Final Fantasy II for now. We're going to hop into some other feature games in this issue. Uh, just in the interest of time and getting this episode out, normally I do dive deep into the development of the featured game. Uh, again, Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy II, uh, so vast, so deep, I'll never do it justice. Uh, so I'm going to spare you of trying to go deep into the development of this game. Definitely, definitely check out uh, some of the episodes I mentioned at the top. Uh, Retronauts, yet another Final Fantasy podcast, New Game Plus, uh, some good stuff there if you want to keep diving deep into Final Fantasy too. But for now, let's retire it. Let's get into our next featured game. Yabba Dabba Do, trademark TM. The crazy caveman antics of Fred Flintstone and his modern Stone Age family are on their way to the NES with some comic fun that made the Flintstones cartoon ATV classic. Fred runs with a fast and funny flurry of feet, smashes zany creatures by swinging a big stone club, and climbs the cliffs of bedrock with kooky cartoon flair. A mad scientist from the 30th century has petnapped Dino and Hoppy. Now it's up to Fred to piece together the Great Gazoo's time machine to follow the pets into the future. Of course, I am talking about the Flintstones. We are going back to the NES from the Super Nintendo, and this was developed and, and uh, released by Taito. Uh, well, published by Taito. I don't know who developed this one. Uh, Memory uh, is the MMC3 chip, which uh, provided beautiful graphics and great sound. 
Uh, graphics and sound, 4.1. Play control, 3.3. Challenge and excitement, 3.5. And theme and fun, 4.2. So pretty decent scores. Pretty average, but on the higher end here for the Flintstones. And I love this game. I'm going to get right to it. I distinctly remember renting this game from our local Southampton video. And listen, I know that any games that were licensed after popular shows and movies, uh, they were super attractive to me uh, when I saw those characters that I recognized and I knew the plot and the story and I knew what I was getting into. Uh, I know that they were attractive to me, but the problem is that most of those games were not great. Like, not at all. Uh, When you think about the LJN games uh, that were released after many different movies and and different properties, uh, they have a terrible rap. Uh, They got completely butchered in the YouTube era. Um, And I don't know if the development budgets were small or the suits were just trying to print money back in the 90s and they just didn't understand games. Probably a combination of both of those things. But we get a lot of scrappy licensed games in the 8 and 16-bit era that were just absolutely terrible. Uh, Sometimes they were so bad they were good. Sometimes they were so bad they were unplayable. But fortunately, I remember the Flintstones, uh, which would later be kind of subtitled The Rescue of Dino and Hoppy, this NES one. I remember this one being pretty good. Uh, This was a platformer, and as it should have been, right, this Flintstones should be a platformer. Uh, And later on, we'll get the Flintstones Burger Time, which is kind of a puzzle game. But uh, platformer is is the perfect genre for the Flintstones. Um, Far too many of these types of games, they try to bend genres when they should just stick to what they should be. Like Mario 3, you can run, jump, slide, fly, and swim. Uh, In this game, you can also use items like an axe. Uh, Unlike Mario 3, you can latch onto cliffs and pull yourself up. So it's a pretty cool mechanic here. You're starting to see some variation. uh, And, you know, you're playing your favorite characters, which is pretty cool. This issue of Nintendo Power shows you the different worlds that you can visit with a screenshot of the world map. We have cave, under the sea, jungle, reef rock, bedrock, basket rock, icy city, and T-Rock, T-E-A, T-Rock. Um, the rest of the coverage here just shows us the levels, uh, where to find the different items and some boss strategies. And there's a little note on the end here that I loved, uh, which I wanted to call out. The insidious Dr. Butler is holed up in his high-tech laboratory. Use your Stone Age tools to scrap his Space Age inventions and continue your search for Dino and Hoppy. And there's a screenshot that teases an appearance. And spoiler alert, the appearance is by the one and only George J. Jetson, who's definitely crossed over into the Flintstones universe before, and we see that in uh, in this game, which is really exciting. Uh, so again, love this game. Uh, just fun, classic platformer action. Reminded me kind of a, a Tiny Toons, I believe, back in the day. Just another good platformer as well. Great colors. Uh, Jeff, definitely check this one out if you haven't played this one before. Another review title here is a game that I also rented from Southampton Video, but I don't remember it as fondly, and that is Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego. Career criminals on the lam, Konami brings famous villain Carmen Sandiego and her 15 vile, V-I-L-E, henchmen to the NES in a special new package that includes a vital weapon, the new American Desk Encyclopedia. In a time machine, Carmen and cohorts are cruising through history causing trouble. Use the encyclopedia to track her down. The blurb here uh, is actually describing a real-life packet encyclopedia that was included with the game. 
a few games uh, really relied on pack-ins and instruction manuals to help you progress through the game. Star Tropics comes to mind, and we've covered this in the past, and Star Tropics kind of breaks that uh, fourth wall and required you to dip paper in water from the instruction book, I believe, or it came with like a letter or something. And if I remember that right, uh, it gave you a code, something that you actually needed in the game to progress. And if you didn't have it, you couldn't progress. And I remember reading you know, that code being uh, included and taped inside uh, the boxes of the rental, you know, so that if you did rent the game, you could get past that part. Uh, well, I, I did rent this game. I rent it uh, where uh, in time is Carmen San Diego. And honestly, uh, I didn't have the desk encyclopedia with me. And it was very, very difficult. It was difficult to play. And I remember being completely unable to play this game as it was intended. And at my age, it was really, really frustrating. Uh, this was one of those edutainment games, if I remember correctly. Uh, of course, published by Konami. Graphics and sound, 2.9. Play control, 2.7. Challenge and excitement, 3.3. And theme and fun, 3.6. So, you know, in the in the middle, a little on the low end here. And there's a quote here. When time patrollers report a crime, the chief calls on you to solve the case. You'll be authorized to use the amazing Acme Chrono Scrim- Skimmer. Chrono Skimmer to travel through time. You start out back in 1044 AD in China. From the look of the screenshots, this is very much a text-driven adventure with some art to show you scenes from the historic locations and the time periods that you visit. Uh, So again, you'll visit uh, different locations. You'll visit the US in 1778, Holland in 1920, America in 1611, Mexico in 1000 AD. Uh, We have the Aztec pyramids here. It's a fun-like edutainment game. Uh, I definitely remember most Carmen Sandiego games fondly. Uh, this one might have been better with the book, uh, but again, I just I just didn't love it at the time. Uh, next up, we have Ultimate Air Combat from Activision. Graphics and sound, 3.7. Play control, 3.0. Challenge and excitement, 3.0. Theme and fun, 3.4. Right in the middle here. Uh, in the introduction option of the start of the game, you'll get a behind-the-scenes glimpse of a White House briefing. Admiral Cliff Stormdrain tells the president about a conflict brewing overseas. General Don Guano, a ruthless dictator, has financed an awesome military machine with his oil revenues. Now he is attacking neighboring countries. The admiral's plan is to send a crack pilot with the best hardware available. It's like the most 90s paragraph ever. Uh, So this is a realistic flight sim. You can choose between three real Navy jets, the F-A-18 Hornet, the AV-8 Harrier, and the F-14 Tomcats. Uh, Pretty awesome if you're into those types of games. Uh, It looks great if you're into that. And uh, next up, uh, we've got Tom and Jerry and Tuffy. Another NES game adaption from a cartoon uh, mentioned here. We're celebrating 50 years of Tom and Jerry. Uh, 200 cartoons in over 90 countries, winning eight Academy Awards. Uh, So many many of us know Tom and Jerry. Uh, There was a movie, right, that was released on HBO not too long ago. Uh, last year. Um, yeah, Colin Jost was in that really interesting movie, uh, adaptation of Tom and Jerry. Um, this particular game was developed or published by high tech expressions, uh, graphics and sound 3.7 play control three challenge and excitement three theme and fun 3.4. Another very much uh, straightforward platformer. Nintendo power covers it extensively in this game with maps, tips, and tricks. One thing I'll point out that I loved uh, about this game uh, is that there seems to be a living room level uh, where you run past a Nintendo Entertainment System, a controller, a VCR, a stack of VHS tapes, 
very, very 90s. Uh, this was like the ultimate 90s living room. And it's kind of a blast from the past because looking at it now, it's super retro. But back in the day, like that's what you had in your living room. You had a stack of VHS tapes. Uh, I recently uh, went on a very brief uh, weekend getaway with my family and we stayed in an old cabin uh, that didn't have uh, cable, uh, didn't have uh, internet uh, really. So uh, they had a drawer full of VHS tapes and it was great to kind of go back and show my kids like this is how we watched movies back in the day uh, on this old VHS uh, VCR uh, and an old kind of tube TV. It's pretty fun. Um, so let's uh, let's listen to one quick track from Tom and Jerry. And then when we get back, we'll jump into now playing. Love it. Quick little hit. Quick little NES 8-bit chiptune hit from the uh, Tom and Jerry game. So we're going to jump into now playing. Let's talk Game Boy. So a couple games featured here. Battletoads, Faceball 2000, Kid Icarus, Double Dragon 2, and Word High. Battletoads, uh, while an incredible point for, for Game Boy, was, was really hard. Uh, I remember this game due to the small screen resolution. The jet ski and the rocket levels required you to really just memorize everything because you didn't have a lot of advance notice where to move and, and kind of how quickly you can navigate there. So I, I had Battletoads for Game Boy. And I mean, at the time, you didn't have that many games. So you could just play this game for hours on end and just kind of learn the patterns. Uh, but I think a game like that today would be super frustrating. Uh, Kid Icarus uh, looks like another port here, but it's actually a sequel to the NES title. Uh, Palutena's, Palutena's Plan, I believe is the subtitle here, included a battery save, which was really super nice. Uh, and it looks very comparable to the original. So if you're a Kid Icarus fan, uh, there's a Game Boy sequel to check out. And then finally, Faceball 2000, new from Bulletproof Software, gives you a chance to blast those terminally cheerful smiley faces into oblivion. Two play modes, Cyberscape and Arena, provide uh, variety and multiple player capabilities and challenge. Uh, try the four-player game for maximum fun and remember to have a nice day. Uh, I, I remember the link cable for Game Boy, uh, but I didn't know that you could have up to four players uh, on Game Boy. I wonder how that worked, right? So we have cyberscape mode, uh, find, your way through the, uh, find your way to the flashing exit and get ready for more challenging mazes ahead. And then you have the arena, uh, more fun for multiple players, pits you against your friends on a variety of play fields. Now, Faceball was very much uh, like a first-person corridor shooter, like Doom or Wolfenstein 3D, uh, but with these Nintendoized smiley faces, right? So it kind of gets sanitized, brought down to the Game Boy level uh, with these kind of happy smiley faces. And it's really fascinating, actually, to see this 3D effect pulled off on a Game Boy. I know the joke now is Doom is is on everything, right? But but it was really interesting to see kind of the 3D effect here. Uh, so some history here, Bulletproof Software was uh, Hank Rogers' company, and he played a key role in bringing Tetris to consoles. There's a lot of good history here. His company produced a ton of Tetris games uh, and a couple other puzzle and sports games as well, including the Yoshi title, uh, which was a puzzle game. Really great. Uh, Home Alone is mentioned here. Home Alone on Game Boy gets a little nod. And then for the NES, we have Space Shuttle Project. Uh, Space Shuttle Project lands or blasts off just before the holiday season 
uh, developed by Absolute. Never heard of that company before. Uh, this is an actual space sim, including six unique missions. Uh, looks very interesting, uh, for sure. Uh, I don't recall this game uh, too much, but it does look like a true space sim. Snow Bros, uh, Snow Brothers, blows onto the NES courtesy of Capcom. This is an arcade port, uh, super similar to Bubble Bobble, two-player couch co-op. Uh, I remember the look and feel of this game, but I don't remember playing it myself. Then we have Toki. Uh, Toki is an NES title published by Taito, uh, where you control a hero who's transformed into a monkey. This is your standard uh, Nintendo platformer, it seems. Uh, some 8-bit action here. Uh, Taito had a good run uh, towards the end of the NES life cycle. Lots of really awesome games uh, produced, including the next one, uh, which was for Super Nintendo. Uh, Taito produced uh, Darius Twin. And this one is much more awesome and much more supercharged uh, for the Super Nintendo than Toki. Uh, this game is a shoot 'em up or shmup. And I believe it's the third game in the Darius uh, series, which debuted on arcade. And this is the, I believe, the first one on consoles. This is where, like, you start to see some of these screenshots. And it is just absolutely beautiful on the Super Nintendo. Definitely worth checking this game out if you haven't already and you like the genre. Uh, This is a good one. Fast-paced. This game plays really well. So definitely check out Darius Twin. Then we have Ultraman Towards the Future. Uh, Hits the uh, Super Nintendo brought to us by Bandai. Nintendo Power wasn't too uh, generous in their review here. Uh, Theme and Fun got a 2.9 lowest Super Nintendo review for the month. And the genre here that they list is Monster Battle. So Ultraman Towards the Future is a monster battle game. I don't really see that genre pop up too often. Uh, Maybe it was a fighting game. I'm not too sure. Uh, but low scores, uh, not too kind on Ultraman. Moving on to our next segment, previews. Let's take a look at some of the games that are featured in this issue, Volume 30, uh, that are upcoming. So let's open up previews with our Super NES Showcase. They've been doing this a few times, where we'll take a closer look at some Super Nintendo games that are coming. We have Super Tennis. Four megabits is the claim here. First headline is Real Tennis. Make use of the, uh, the Super NES capabilities. Super Tennis is as close as you'll come to playing tennis without using the racket. It's a pretty bold claim. Uh, but yeah, Super Tennis, I remember playing this uh, playing this game as well. It's fun. It's a fun game. Then we've got Super Baseball Sim- Simulator 1000 from developer Culture Brain. Uh, again, four megabytes, uh, four MB cart battery backed. Uh, using those technical terms for the Super Nintendo that you just didn't know what they meant, but hey, they're going to throw them at you anyways. Step into the shoes of team, owner, manager, and player. This game, I believe, uh, I don't believe this game has access to the actual MLB roster of teams and players. Uh, So it had kind of that fantastic, unrealistic uh, NFL blitz-ish feel to it. You know, that intentional lack of reality. Um, You could do lightning and fire pitches and missile and bomb hits and all that kind of unrealistic stuff that made these games kind of arcadey uh, and super fun and made you forget the fact that you didn't have access to all your favorite 1990s baseball players. Uh, also previewed uh, is UN Squadron. I mentioned that earlier in the episode. This game is a port of a Japanese arcade game from Capcom called Area 88. This is a side-scrolling shoot 'em up It's based on a manga title. Uh, I think of the same name. I'm not too sure. One cool technical note here is that this game makes full use of the 128 moving objects that the Super Nintendo can display at once. 
And this is an eight megabit cart. So clearly uh, using that extra memory to back up that claim. There are 10 stages, awesome anime style character sprites here and really nice background art. I've never played this game. I remember it fondly, uh, but I want to go back and check this one out because there's a lot of customization options explored here. And it looks like you choose your ship, your pilot, your special weapons, a uh, lot of cool features here. So UN Squadron, definitely a game worthy of being previewed. Game Boy previews include Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Back from the Sewers, Ninja Gaiden Shadow, Terminator 2, and Hudson Hawk. In Packwatch, we get a quick glimpse of upcoming NES and Super Nintendo games. Up first is Empire Strikes Back, the sequel to Star Wars. And I don't really recall playing Empire Strikes Back on NES, but Super Empire Strikes Back for the Super Nintendo is one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, I believe that the NES one was fun, though, uh, pretty true to the film. Uh, you get to visit many of the same locations. I have to go back and actually check this one out and see if it, if it holds up. Up next, we have Overlord. This is a PC adaptation of a strategy game developed by Virgin Games, where you have to build a galactic empire in space to compete against an evil counterpart that is trying to do the same. Uh, sounds pretty cool. Wizards and Warriors 3 from Acclaim is also on its way. On Super Nintendo, we have Lemmings. Uh, Lemmings is an absolute classic, and I think everyone has come across this in some form, uh, whether it was on PC or a different platform. Uh, True Glow... True Golf Classics, another sports game. Uh, and then in Gossip Galore, we get these mini tidbits, some rumors, uh, some games that are stirring up, games that are coming in the future. We have Bucky O'Hare, which is an amazing game, uh, late NES game uh, that I absolutely adore. Super Sports from EA, who goes on to dominate sports in the coming decade and beyond. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and some rumors here. We have Hook on Super Nintendo, Mega Man 4 on the NES and Lagoon from the company that put out Shadowgate and Deja Vu. So Lagoon, I don't recall that one, but of course Shadowgate and Deja Vu are classics. In our next segment, we have That's So Retro, uh, where we take a look at some of the odds and ends, some of the really super 90s, super retro things that are covered in this issue. Nestor's Adventures opens up with Nestor at a speedway in a little go-kart. The ref tells him, remember, absolutely no crashing. These aren't bumper cars, to which Nestor responds, I never crash. I just knock some sense into the competition. He then says, kiss track, Goonwad. And then the race starts. Uh, so kiss tra track, Goonwad, uh, as 90s and retro as you can get there with that comeback. Uh, you can guess where this is going, but you'd probably be wrong. Pico, an alien from F-Zero, shows up to give Nestor some real competition, but Nestor gets some earthly advice from Captain Falcon, and he ends up ramming him, uh, jetting past him, and taking first place. Uh, classic Nestor. Uh, classic Nestor. Everyone remembers the pull-out posters from Nintendo Power, and this month we've got Faceball 2000, as I mentioned, produced by Bulletproof Software. Uh, big giant smiley face. You might remember this game's design. Uh, that big yellow smiley face is pretty iconic. I actually remember that from Dazed and Confused. Slight take on that design, right? Uh, but it says, have a nice day, which of course is that iconic phrase that accompanied that smiley face design. Uh, the game counselor profiles here aren't super interesting this month. Of course, with uh, with this particular section, you saw little headshots of the game counselors and some odds and ends about who they were, so you can get to know them a little bit better. But I will take note that game counselor Robert Johnson, uh, his hobbies are incredible. His hobbies included water skiing, uh, AD&D, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and snakes uh, with an exclamation point. So he had some really interesting hobbies there, including snakes. 
And the celebrity profile for this issue is featuring Robert England, uh, better known as Freddy Krueger, not really family friendly, not really kid friendly in this issue. Uh, he was the star of uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which was relevant at the time. Listen, uh, I'm I'm not okay with this in Nintendo Power, honestly. Uh, Nintendo Power was a kid's magazine. I do not think this was the right choice. Um, I was scarred for life when Child's Play was screened for me against my parents' knowledge at a party that I went to. Um, I don't need to see Chucky on TV, and I don't need to see Robert Unglund, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, in my childhood video game magazines. Thank you very much. That said, here's some interesting bits here. Uh, Unglund is a self-proclaimed avid Nintendo player. He mentions the Final Nightmare being his last film appearance as Freddy. I don't think that was true. I think he reprised his role in later years. Uh, He claims to have a power glove with retractable blades, and he talks about decapitating the Mario Brothers. No thanks. Uh, No thanks. I do not want any of this in my Nintendo power. Hopefully, this is the last of uh, horror characters showing up uh, as celebrity guests. And then finally, to round out this issue, uh, are we having fun yet? Which is, of course, is my favorite segment where we just take all the odds and ends, the things that didn't fit in, and uh, we share those here. So contest winner Lee Mullen won the Players Poll Contest that landed him a trip to meet NASCAR's Bill Elliott. Uh, Cool profile here in Players Pulse, which shows you at the very least that this isn't fake, right? Those uh, contests, those awards... Uh, they weren't fake. People actually did win those those contests and they got to go on their trips to Hollywood and in this case uh, to this NASCAR race. Super cool. Classified information is dipping into Super Nintendo games now with some cool tips for Super Mario World. I didn't know this, but if you carried a P-Switch or shell to the exit gate, you'd get a special item. Uh, I knew that you would get an item, but I didn't know that there was kind of pre-built logic to determine what you got based on what Mario was at, uh, at what Mario was at the time and what was in your item reserve box. So there was a lot of different logic here that I had no idea what it was. Uh, Very interesting stuff. Uh, In Counselor's Corner, uh, we also stay with Super Mario World. And uh, the question here is, how do I get across Butter Bridge 1? Uh, And there's some tips and tricks on how to do that. So there's some really uh, good blasts from the past, you know, memories of those challenges that you encountered uh, back in the day and either you had that older neighbor or older sibling who would just help you out or you would have conversations in the schoolyard with your friends or you'd come across a Counselor's Quarter article in Nintendo Power that would just help you out. Um, Lots of good stuff here. For Legend of Zelda, again, going all the way back to the NES Legend of Zelda, uh, the question here is how do I defeat Ganon? So again, you know, people are still challenged with finishing one of the greatest NES games of all time and uh, we're getting those tips. We're getting those tricks here. Uh, Metal Gear, how do I destroy the supercomputer? So again, really trying to help you uh, get across the finish line with some of those classic games. And then finally, the top 10 out of the top 30 games uh, in this issue. We're going to start to wrap up today's episode. And as always, we'll do so by looking at these top games on Game Boy and NES. I believe Super Nintendo should be coming soon. Game Boy's top 10, we have Super Mario Land, TMNT, Fall of the Foot Clan, Dr. Mario, Final Fantasy Legend, F1 Race, WWF Superstars, Castlevania The Adventure, Batman, Alleyway, and Baseball. Lots of great games there. And for the NES Top 30, we have Super Mario Brothers 3, Final Fantasy, Battletoads, TMNT 2, the arcade game, The Simpsons, Bart vs. the Space Mutants, Crystallis, Dragon Warrior 2, Mega Man 3, Tetris, 
And The Legend of Zelda still uh, returning to the top 10 here uh, has ranked in the top 30 for 38 straight weeks. Uh, classic game. Interesting to see it fluctuate and come back to the top here. So that's going to do it for today's episode, Volume 30 of Nintendo Power, featuring Final Fantasy 2. In the next issue, we'll get a look at Metroid 2 Return of Samus. Apparently, this was the planned cover for this month, as well as Tiny Toon Adventures, Batman Return of the Joker, and Act Razor. Act Razor just got a uh, remake. Yeah, kind of like an HD remake for Switch that I really want to check out. Well, we also get a note from the editor that Robin Hood was delayed. Uh, we covered that from a previous episode, and it was covered earlier in the summer of 91, but the game was never released. The editor, George Sinfield, shares that the staff doesn't have a ton of control over delays. Uh, some interesting transparency here. I don't know why they felt the need to put it in. Maybe they covered Robin Hood against their better wishes. Uh, they felt bad about it because maybe they thought the game wasn't ready to come out, and uh, they had a hunch that it wouldn't. Uh, but again, transparency here, really interesting in this uh, quick note from the editor. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for your time and your attention. Thanks for joining me for this exploration of Volume 30. I cut a few corners here, as you might notice if you've been a fan of the show. Um, I did not include any original music uh, from any VGM artists, uh, any uh, jazzy or rock renditions of the Final Fantasy 2 or Final Fantasy 4 songs. Uh, that's typically what I'd like to do in the interest of time. I just put this one together quickly uh, and I didn't cover the development of that game. Uh, but again, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of great resources out there and hopefully in the future uh, with a less daunting title, uh, something less epic than Final Fantasy 2, uh, I'll go a little bit deeper and uh, hey, maybe we'll kick that off with uh, the next episode of Power Time covering Metroid 2. So again, hopefully I'll be back soon if, you, if you're interested uh, in where I've been and what I've been up to, as I mentioned earlier, I will record a quick bonus episode and put that on the feed. And I have some interesting audio. It's actually a live performance of Power Time. Uh, I've never done anything like that before. And I did it back in 2019. Uh, so I've been holding on to that audio for quite a long time. So I'm going to share that on the feed. Uh, check that out. And as always, reach out to me. Reach out to me on Twitter at Yo Power Time, Yo Power Time. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, to know that you're you're doing well and you're still listening. Um, I'm a real person and you're a real person. So feel free to connect with me uh, if you're uh, over on Twitter. Uh, if not, let me know where you are. Uh, featured music. So the intro and outro for Power Time is by Azure Flux uh, and used with permission. Thank you so much for that. And that's going to wrap up today's episode. Thanks again for your time. It's been a long wait. I'm happy to be back behind the microphone. A little rusty, a little rusty, but uh, feeling good. Feeling good to get this episode recorded. Uh, after almost a thousand days of no power time episodes uh, and stay tuned for the next one as always play hard score high and be excellent to each other keep on playing with power 